I reckon he's going to make a good rugby player, this guy. <laughs> he's good. Well, if you'd like to take your outlines out, we are just in part two of the wonder of mercy. Last week we started this off. And last week in my introduction, I talked about how God shows us mercy when we're ashamed of things that we've done wrong. He shows us mercy when we're angry over things that we don't have. And also he shows us mercy when we're afraid of things that may happen in the future. Now today, as we continue in the wonder of mercy, I want to look at the idea that God can use anybody, anybody, in his purposes, just because of his mercy. You see, one of the greatest joys you will ever experience is to be used by God for a purpose that is greater than yourself. Because you weren't made to just live by yourself. God, when he made you, when a manufacturer makes something, he has a purpose in mind. And when he made you, he did not make you to just live for yourself. If you do that, what you'll find ultimately is that you'll end up being bored and unfulfilled and confused. You see, friends, when God made you, he made you and he shaped you to serve. That's how he made you. And we're going to see that in a minute. Romans 6.13 on your outline. Notice these are God's words. He says, give. There's a great word to start. Give. Give yourself. What? Yourself. And how much? Partially. He says, give yourself completely to God. Every part of you. Every part. Not just the Sunday part. Why? Why should I do this? Because you've been brought from death to life. And we talked about that last Easter week. And now you want to be used by God. What for? For good. And for his righteous purpose. And the problem is, I found many people secretly fear that God couldn't possibly use them. Because they're stuck in the past. And they're stuck because of past mistakes they, uh, they were involved in. They're afraid that they're either, one, disqualified by past mistakes or unqualified to be used by God. That's a typical reaction. Now, we only have to look at the life of the Apostle Paul to dispel and completely destroy those myths. No follower of Jesus Christ has been used more than the Apostle Paul. And God used Paul to spread Christianity throughout and plant churches all throughout the Roman Empire. And he wrote about half of the New Testament. And yet, Paul had parts of his past that were anything but God-honoring. Anything but and in 2 Corinthians 4, 11, 4, excuse me, 1 through 18, which is what we're going to be studying today, I want to take a look at Paul's secrets of staying usable by God. And the first secret is this. Never forget, never forget, it's all because of God's mercy. It is God's mercy. Last week in part one, I defined mercy as undeserved forgiveness an unearned kindness. We talked about that last week. And everything God does for you, everything God does in you and through you, it is because of his mercy and grace, not because we deserve it or that we have earned it. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says this, notice, God in his mercy has given us this ministry and work to do. It's a gift by his mercy. That's why we don't become discouraged. And we never give up. We did a whole series on standing strong. That same mercy sustained Paul through many painful episodes that marked his ministry. And that Mercy enabled him to overcome feelings of despair and endure to the end. And that, my friends, is a major skill Christians need to learn. Therefore, Paul could write, we do not lose heart. In other words, we never give up. 
And though discouraged at, the, at times, as we'll see that in the scripture, Paul never quit. And when you use your talents to help others, that's called ministry. Let me say that again. When you use the talents that God has given you to help others, that is called ministry. Another word for it is service. And God says, I created you to make a contribution in this life, not to just consume. You are shaped to serve. And some of you say, but pastoring, you don't know about my past. Friends, it doesn't matter. Do you know what Paul did before he was a Christian? Before he was a church planter and a pastor? He was like an anti-Christian terrorist. And that's no exaggeration. He went from village to village seeking out Christians to kill them. That's the guy we're talking about. And God used him. That's the exact opposite of what you'd expect someone that God could use, right? 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13 on your screen. I thank Christ Jesus. Why? Because he trusted me. And he gave me, see it's a gift, it's a free gift. He gave me this work of serving him. In the past I spoke against Christ and I persecuted him and did all kinds of things to hurt him. But God showed me mercy. Now God's given you the gift of serving him. And we haven't earned it and we haven't deserved it, it's just as mercy. And God says, I'm going to use you in my plan in spite of the fact, is that echoing, mate? In spite of the fact that, it, that you are broken. Galatians 1, chapter 1, um, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, you know what I was like before I followed Christ. How I violently persecuted Christians. I did my best to get rid of them. In other words, he killed people. He killed people. But then something happened. For it pleased God in his kindness, that's mercy, to choose me and to call me even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. Wow, it's a tremendous privilege, Paul says. You see, God already knew all the stupid things that he would do and I'd do. He even knew all the people, Paul's saying, that I would have murdered he already knew in advance all the sins I was going to commit, yet he still chose to call me. And that is the wonder of God's mercy in spite of me. See, here's my point. God has never used a perfect person. Do you know that? Because there aren't any. There are no perfect people. Abraham was a liar. He lied twice to save his own hide. Jacob was also a liar. Joseph was abused. Gideon was poor. Samson was a reckless codependent. Rahab was a prostitute. Elijah was suicidal at one stage. Jonah was fearful and reluctant. Jeremiah was depressed. David, oh, we know what happened there. He had an affair and his mistress had his mistress's husband killed. John the Baptist, well, he was eccentric to say the least. Zacchaeus had been an unethical scam artist. The Samaritan woman, how many husbands had she had? Five. Timothy was timid. And Moses, David, and Paul were all guilty of, what's a common crime? Murder. Remember that. Now, here's the truth. You may want to write down, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. God has never ever used a perfect person because there aren't any except for Jesus Christ. And if only God used perfect people, nothing would get done in this world. 
Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives in Christ Jesus. And long ago, this is before you were born, he planned that we should spend our lives watching TV. He planned that we should spend our lives absorbed in Facebook. Hmm, my Bible doesn't say that. You want to know what God's plan is for your life. Many of you ask that question, and you really want to know. Well, this is God's written word, which never changes. He planned that you should spend your lives. What does the last three words say? What's God's plan for your life? Help others. What's, what's your plan for my life, God? I, I can't hear it. He says, look at my words. My word never changes. I planned before you were born not to earn a million dollars, not to have a property portfolio that you could just die and be real comfortable with. He planned that you should use your life to help others. What does that imply? What does that imply? If I'm not helping others, I'm not getting on with God's plan. If I'm so wrapped up in my own life, if I don't have any time in my life because I'm pursuing my goals and I'm not helping others, what does that tell you? I'm not getting on with God's plan. I'm getting on with my plan for my life. So, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. That is your ministry. And when you're using your talents, your accounting talent, your teaching talent, your, in, your IT talent, whatever it may be, your ability, your background to help somebody else, that's what God planned you to do. Here's a second key to be, using, uh, to be used by God. Be real. Be real. That means be authentic. Be genuine. Just be yourself. Now, a lot of people think that in order for God to use me, I've got to be somebody different than I am. No, God doesn't want you to be somebody different than you are. He made you to be you. And but one thing I will tell you is God doesn't use posers or pretenders or actors. Be who God made you to be. And many folks try to be something they're not. They're trying to live for the expectations and the approval of others. And friends, the Bible calls that a trap. He says it like this in the old King James Version. The fear of man is a trap. If you try to be something you're not, you'll always be under stress. You'll fear being exposed and found out. And you'll end up manipulating people. 2 Corinthians 4, on the other hand, says this. We don't try to trick anybody. We don't try to twist the word of God. Instead, we teach the truth plainly. Showing everyone who we really are. There's an authenticity there. Then they can know in their hearts what kind of people we are in God's sight. Paul's saying there, I've got nothing to hide. I am completely transparent. What you see is what you get. Let me say it one more time. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You just have to be authentic. And you know, one of the barriers that keeps you and me from sometimes being authentic and real it's the word fear. And that's because you think, well, if people really knew how I was, they wouldn't want me. And I need everybody to want me and like me. Now, the antidote to fear and insecurity is to receive God's spirit. Romans 8.15 says this. The spirit we receive does not make us slaves again to fear. See, fear can enslave you. Instead, God's spirit makes us children of God. And where there's perfect love, it casts out fear. And when you understand that you're a child of God and you realize it's all by God's mercy, you don't have to fake it. You can be real. Here's a third key to be used by God for the rest of your life, no matter what's happened in your past. Remember this. It's not about me. Every time you forget that, you're going to get bitter about your problems or you're going to get prideful. Man, things are going good. 
and be prideful about your blessings. And if you forget it's not about you, you're going to take everything personally. And you're going to be easily upset. 2 Corinthians 4.5 says this. Our message, this is as a Christian, our message is not about ourselves. Question. What is your life message? Is it about you, your career, your promotion, your wealth, your health? Is everything about you, 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 you? What is your life message? Because Paul says our life message is not about ourselves. What is it about? It's about Jesus Christ as the Lord. We are merely servants, he says, for Jesus' sake. Now that is about as radical countercultural statement as you can make in today's world. Why? Because every bit of advertising that you see in your TV or your magazines, it appeals to our self-centeredness, our narcissism. It says, it's all about you. Go ahead. You deserve it. Friends, as lovely as I can say this, the Bible says it is not about you. You and I are not the center of the universe. God is. He is the center of the universe. And you and I, friends, will be repeatedly tested on this exact issue. You see, because lasting in following Christ is all about motivation. The why you do something determines how long you'll do it. And we must continually ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Let me ask you that question right now. I see people who become believers. They become followers of Christ. And then they get involved in ministry and they start serving as brand new believers with the right motivation because of Jesus. Out of gratitude to God. They want to give back to God in some form and do something with their lives that count for the kingdom of God. That's what I notice. But slowly over time, the motivation can start to change as they are challenged and they are less clear on the why they are doing this. Paul, on the other hand, I want to contrast, is crystal clear in his motivation. Twice in this passage, he says, we are servants for Jesus' sake. In verse 7, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we are like clay jars, which are fragile, in which this treasure is stored. The treasure is the main deal. The real power comes from God and not from us. He's saying this supremely valuable message of salvation in Jesus Christ has been entrusted to us, frail and fallible human beings. But Paul's focus here was not on him, the perishable container, which won't last for very long, but on its priceless contents, God's power dwelling in us. Now, except for Jesus, God has always used flawed instruments like me, and perhaps you. Fourth, use my pain to help others. Every person in this room has been through pain. Paul went through a lot of pain in his life. And he's giving a testimony about this. Pain. And by the way, I just want to, uh, uh, again, reset a few quick misperceptions. Remember about the story about the power about the man who built his house upon the rock and the other one who built his house upon the sand. What's the common thing that happened to both of them? The storm came upon both of them. The storm comes upon both. One stood, one didn't. Christians are not exempt from the pain in this world. But as I said last week, God is the one who gives you the power to endure through it. Paul gives a testimony here. And the lesson is, he's saying, use my pain to help others. Here it is on the screen. He's saying, and it's part of his testimony, I have worked much harder 
put in more hours. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged severely, more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And it's not the kind of stone you four are thinking about. Right? <laughs> he says, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open seas. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in dangers from rivers and bandits, from my own countrymen, from Gentiles, in, the, in danger in the city, in the country at the sea, in the dangers from false brothers. These are people who betrayed him and cheated me, he says. Remember how that feels? He says, you think you've got problems? I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. Often. Not just once. I missed a meal. Often. I have been cold and have been naked. In other words, they took my clothes away. They took everything from me. Because everything else, besides everything else, I have faced the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches. And you think you've got problems. <laughs> Man. If asked, Paul, why do you put up with all of that? All of that. Why do you travel by foot to all of those places in Rome? It's not jumping in your car, turning on the air conditioning, fill up and off you go. Why would you put up with the jail, the beatings, the stonings, the shipwrecks, going without food and sleep and safety? Why would you give up your comfort? He would say, for Jesus' sake. Probably actually like my daughter who's just landed in Mosul in Iraq this morning. Why would she do that? Two little girls, a loving husband. Why would she put herself in danger's way? For Jesus' sake. If you do ask Paul why, he'd say this. Further down our passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We often suffer. We often suffer. But we never crashed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. When we are knocked down, I like this, we get up again. I like that. You're going to go through pain in your life. You may as well use it to help others. He says in verse 15, all of these sufferings are of ours are for your benefit. The pain was for your benefit. The more of you who are one to Christ, the more of you there are to thank him for his great mercy and the more God gets glory. Friends, there are different types of suffering. Some of them, a lot of the suffering we suffer, we suffer because of our own stupid decisions or lack of thinking or we get ourselves in situations. But the highest form of suffering is redemptive suffering. When you choose to put up with pain and problems in order to help other people. In other words, God wants you to use your problems for a purpose. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was redeeming the world and he was paying for the redemption of your sins. He wasn't dying for his sins. He was perfect. He was dying for your sins. That is redemptive suffering. That is suffering for the benefit of others. Tough question. Are you strong enough in God to suffer for the benefit of others? Or is it all about you? Your comfort, your wealth, your health, your time, your plans. Or are you prepared to put those things aside to help others? Paul says, I keep on going because I know it's helping others to come to Christ and to grow in Christ. Last week we saw 12 people in this place give their hearts to Christ or recommit their hearts to Christ last week. 2 Corinthians 4.16 this is why we never give up, even though it gets tough. 
He says, though our bodies are dying, our spirits have been renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. Obviously, friends, our bodies are wasting away. Have any of you looked in the mirror lately? You know, we've got the bifocals and the baldness and the bulges. Huh? The aches and the pains and the wrinkles. And then, of course, we've got the furniture problem. Where our chest falls into our drawers, right? <laughs> I'm only talking about men there. Okay. Paul says we can't stop the aging on the outside, but we can stay spiritually fresh inside every day. And the Bible says Moses in his whole age was just as full of passion and energy and commitment to God as he was when a young man, and that is my prayer for you. But you're going to have to fight and push back being squeezed into the mold of this world. You have a part to play. That will not happen if you just float on down the river of this culture. Mo Moses daily recharged himself. And that's a great idea. Last, fifth and the last key to being used by God. Till you see him. In other words, staying power is you need to stay focused on eternity. Because everything in this world will try and focus on the here and now. It'll give you myopia, short-sightedness. And Paul's last secret of staying usable is maintaining an eternal perspective and not getting overwhelmed by our current problems. Now the reality is, friends, I know as well as you do, it is very easy to lose perspective when you're tired or you think it's all about now or it's all about you. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, these little troubles are getting us ready. These are not, that's not the main event. Now, did you hear that? These little troubles are getting us ready. This 70, 80, or 90 years is not the main event. It's the preschool. It's the kindergarten for eternity. These little troubles are getting us ready for the eternal glory that will make all our troubles seem like... Nothing. And the next verse says, So therefore, because of that, we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. We're not focused on all of that. Rather, instead, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. So friends... You will live your life based on one of three motivations. The first one is internal motivation. But it's all about my happiness. It's all about me being popular. How many friends I've got on Facebook. How many likes I get for my posts. And being rich. That's the sort of stuff. Or external, which is a reward or penalty from people around you. You'll be driven and controlled by what people think about you. And you want it to be good. And you can be easily manipulated. But the most powerful motivation that Paul tapped into is eternal motivation. Being motivated by the fact that this life, you may want to write this down, is a test. This life is a test. This life is a trust. And this life is a temporary assignment. A test, a trust and a temporary assignment. It's getting ready for the real show which is going to go on for trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years. This is like a puff. It says, actually the scriptures talk about it. our life is like the steam coming out of a kettle. It comes out a little bit and then poof, gone. That's what the scripture says. We forget that. This perspective Eternal perspectives gives you the strength and focus and staying power to look past your problems that will try and choke the eternal life out of you. 
And that's how Jesus endured the cross. Hebrews 12, 2, nearly at the end there. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, the scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. See, it's because of that eternal perspective, he endured and he stuck at it. One of the practical keys of also staying focused is, staying, is getting involved in a small group because life is designed for companionship, not isolation. We are easily picked off if we're not in relationship and community. You're not deserve, uh, designed to uh, be lonely. And we're not here to serve ourselves, but we're to serve God and others. So my suggestion to you is seek the companionship and encouragement of others to keep focused on the God that you serve. Last couple of verses on your, on your outline. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but the two can stand back to back and conquer. Three people are even better, for a triple-braided corner is not easily broken. And finally, Matthew 18, 20, for Jesus is speaking, he says, wherever two or three come together in my name, there I will be with them. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to go and grab some coffee. And then we're going to spend 10 minutes, just as we wrap up, looking at these questions here, which is what, what I want you to... Can you just pop the questions up? Next ones. Lee, if you can just grab the, um, the tea and the coffee, that'd be fantastic. So what I want you to look at over your discussion guides, and just to spend a bit of time focusing, because it's really important. It's one thing to hear, another thing to think about. How does this apply to my life? Question number one, what are you allowing to keep you from being used by God right now? Whoa. How about, or maybe, what, maybe the other side of that question is, why is it often difficult to serve other people? Third question, you don't have to answer all of these, but choose at least one or two of these. It's up to you which ones you choose. What does God ask you to do? And then, here's a real tough one. Would you characterize yourself as more as a giver or a taker in the family of God? Some things to think about. Let's have some morning tea. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Ben, if you can just check that with Lee, that'd be great. Thanks. Come and grab some coffee, and then come back to your tables, and we're going to just have a, a 10 minutes of discussion before we wrap it up. Okay, well, we're going to start to um, kick off with Esther's group over here. If you want to just, uh, which question were you girls addressing, Esther? Okay, so if you wanted to share some of your thoughts. So basically, our problem with, with what we find difficult with serving others is that sometimes you tend to give so much of yourself to helping others, and it tends to just drain you and take all of your efforts. And because you're not really receiving anything in return, it feels like, oh, why am I doing this? And so we just have to learn to really just go look to God for that um, resurgence of energy for him to give back to us, sort of, type thing. Yeah. Good. Somebody else want to add to question number one? Ben, if you can do the run-on. I think we've got one over here, Mr. Jacques. Oh, sorry. Over, we're going back. <laughs> Dizzy. Um, yeah, we, we were talking a bit about um, the, I guess, the, one of the big challenges, particularly for um, uh, students and stuff like that, is just the amount of demands on your time and the amount of things which can distract you from that. So you have to be really intentional and um, setting aside time to actually do that or else there's just too many other things which can distract you from it. Um, and then on top of that, it kind of tends to pull you out of your comfort zone a lot. So, um, yeah, that was the stuff we were talking That's a good point. Somebody else want to add to number one? Oh, my goodness. Um, so, over like the past couple of weeks, I've just had this reoccurring thing in my life, and it just was like talking about having a childlike faith. And whenever we're serving or we're stepping out of our comfort zone to do something to serve, we always have this expectation on ourselves to do it perfectly or we don't have the confidence to step out and we're, yeah, we just, we don't do it. So I find like just this reoccurring thing, have a childlike faith because God is our father, we're all children of God. 
We all make mistakes and we're all going to learn, but he's always there and he's always going to look down on us like we're his children. We can make mistakes, we can just have to step out of our comfort zone and try. Great. I think I saw one over here, one over here. That was so mean. <laughs> we've done the same question, question one, and we've had a lot of the same um, comments. You know, we just make ourselves too busy with day-to-day -day stuff to actually give the time to help someone else. Also, sometimes people will abuse your goodwill, uh -huh. and they're actually not that grateful, and that makes you reluctant to do it again to help someone else. And also, there's that fear of how to approach someone sometimes to actually offer the help, just that fear of rejection. Mm. Good point. Jennifer? What are you allowing to keep you from being used by God? Well, the Bible says it's because God is light. And when, when you're in the darkness, you're afraid to come to the light because of certain things that you do that are keeping you. But um, there's also this verse that says, except a corn of wheat go into the ground and die, it will abide alone. It's the same in our lives. If we want to come forward to God, we got to crucify the flesh and the mm. things that the flesh loves. And when we begin to do that, we get strong in the Lord and we get bold. And then we can serve other people. And because of certain things in our lives too, we don't like to serve other people because these things are going to reflect on us. They'll come up. So we have to first deal with ourselves and then we'll be bold enough to come to the light to help others because God is light. We've got to come out of the darkness and come into the light. And the way of doing that is by crucifying the flesh. The flesh likes lots of things, but we've got to... Uh, Get those little deeds that are keeping us from serving God, that are pulling us back. Say, hey, if I go forward and serve God now, will I be able to let go of these things? Not realizing that the Holy Spirit will give you the power and give you the strength. We must come as we are to serve God. Sure. One of the key things that's come up already in several of the groups is that I'm pushed for time. A student, university student, which Jacques mentioned. One of the things that's helped me personally, having been a university student for more years than I care to think, is that it comes down to our identity. Am I a student, firstly, who happens to be a Christian, or am I firstly a child of the king who happens to be at university getting a degree? The orientation is very different. If I am firstly a child of the king as a Christian, his priorities are priority. And the getting a degree is a side benefit of me happening to be at university and happening to do my studies. And so a lot of it comes down to what do you want to be? Do you want to be a managing director? Is that your identity? Because if it is, it's really hooked to power and prestige and often positions, wrong identity. As Jennifer mentioned, unless a seed is put into the ground, and there is, there is no way to serve without it costing you something. Let me put it another way. If it's not costing you something, you're not serving. Is that fair? Because it's either my time or God's time. How much of this next week are you prepared to say, God, I'll give this to you to use any way that you want. No preconditions. This has nothing to do with me. If there's a person who needs some help, I will give that time and it will cost me. Yes, it will. There's no way to sugarcoat that. And that gets at the very center of our selfishness and the crucifying of the flesh because I want to do what I want, right? I want to make time for things that are important to me. But God says, if you're truly an ambassador of mine, you will make my priorities, my kingdom priorities, paramount. You will firstly represent the interests of the kingdom over my own. An ambassador, the American ambassador, his job is to represent the American interests. His own may be slightly different, but his, that's his primary identity. Okay, next. How about number two? Anybody pick up number two? What does God ask you to do? Did somebody want to share that? Oh, down here. Ben? Oh, so, go. Robert? 
Uh, we were looking at the second question, what God has asked you to do. And obviously you have given us the answer earlier, help others, help others, and in what way? And we discussed, and um, people came up with uh, several things. One of them, be available to them, be available to them, um, and helping others, expecting nothing in return. And also to do it with perseverance, not to give up, and continuous going. And for all this thing, the underlying motive should be, whatever we do, we are doing it for the glory of the Lord. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. I saw one over here. Where was it? Miss Renee? Oh, hello, Miss Renee. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, look, when I, um, when I first became Christian, I was, I was kind of wondering, hearing people talking about gifts and what gifts has God given you. And I was like, mm, no, I'm, I'm blank. I just really didn't know. And, um, I think sometimes you've just got to um, put it out there and, and we were offered to, to come along and help out the homeless. And so, uh, you know, you've just got to see how it goes and, and, you, and you think sometimes, oh, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that. I don't, I don't know what I've got to offer these people. And, um, yeah, so we got involved in um, a group that was going into the city and um, helping out homeless people and it was very, it was an eye-opener, really, you know, I just wanted to help out in, mm. in whatever way possible. We could give some people food and some people clothing and blankets and stuff that some kind people had um, put resources together, you know, um, but in, in a lot of cases they just wanted to be treated like human beings. Good. Because it was very obvious as we were talking to them, there were people that would go as far as they could around them to get out of their way and treat them like they weren't human beings, you know, like they were someone to be avoided. Or, so, yeah, I, I don't know. That, that to me um, helped me because I, I enjoyed it and um, found that, uh, or other people had noticed that, that it was definitely something that I didn't have a problem with. Okay, great. Anybody else like to comment on number two? Oh, over here. Calvin? Gonna, oh, sorry. Oh, Renee. yeah, I'm going to have a turn now. Go for it, Renee. Um, one of the things, too, with it, I think when we're talking about serving, I think sometimes our ideas about what it means to serve are too grandiose. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can be just the simple things, like when we're feeding the homeless. It could be simply striking up a conversation with one of them. That could change their whole day. You know, it could be as you're going about doing what you're doing and something pops in your head and you go, oh, I could do that. Or you notice that somebody's struggling at the supermarket, you pay for their food. Or It can be really little things that could just be striking up a conversation in the, um, super, in the supermarket with somebody. Great. You know, that they're just being recognised. You know, serving can come in so many different forms. Yes, it can be helping somebody shift house. Yes, it could be going to visit somebody in the hospital. Yes, it could be um, going to give somebody a hand who's struggling at home. But it is so many different forms, and I think sometimes we box it up too much. Yep. And you know, we it, it, like it's not saying that we don't want to be intentional, but sometimes we just also have to be open to the fact that it's as we're going, it's as we're going about our daily lives. Spontaneous. Yeah. I mean, think about tomorrow. Every one of you tomorrow are going into the mission field. You are. So are you. People around you are hurting. Maybe for them, something, serving somebody else is actually being, stopping long enough to sit down over the lunch table, putting your phone aside and listening to that person's story. That is being part of it. But sometimes, have you noticed these days? You get to the lunch table, back come the phone, shh. Maybe that's what God's asking you. Put your own desire aside to catch up on Facebook and spend a little time. Uh, Calvin? 
Oh, sorry. Just on uh, question two, so it makes yes. me think of um, Philippians 1.19, where Paul says, you know, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, uh, Christ will be glorified in my body. So you have to calculate, you know, whatever you do, Christ has to be glorified in what you do. So, you know, a practical application would be, do I want to watch TV or is it more glorifying if I go into the Word and cherish His Word and um, be able to memorize His Word and you know, share His Word? Or, you know, would I rather fix my own house or would I fix somebody else's house? Because what, what brings more glory to God? Hmm. Very good. On that one, can I just encourage every one of you, I drive around quite recklessly sometimes, and right now this is what I'm memorizing from Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Memorizing the Word of God will do more for your spiritual life than virtually anything else that I know of. And by now, the trouble is we get into other habits. The easy one is to pick up my cell phone. The easy thing is to go down to my office first thing in the morning and just hit the internet button and see what's happened in the world. And that takes the first priority. Can I suggest to you part of putting God first and getting your priorities clear is to get into God's word. That's a sidebar, but I want to underline what Philip said. It is much easier to indulge the flesh and sit back. Oh, I understand. I was watching David Attenborough's Planet Earth. My daughter bought it for my, for my, I don't know, it was a Father's Day, birthday actually. It arrived the other day. And my wife and I have been enjoying that. But there's only so much of it I can do before I feel how many more, how, if I watched all of them, maybe about 20 hours. That's a lot of time. So I'm going to space that out and make sure I keep the main thing, the main thing. Sorry, over here, Kelvin. Um, so I'm just going to uh, take a little different take on it. Um, in Mark 12, verse 30, um, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Um, and that's just one way to summarize everything that everyone else has said. Um, by serving others, you are loving God and loving your neighbor. Yes, I love it. Very well summarized, Calvin. Top points. Now, the last question. Was anybody brave enough to tackle this one? <laughs> well, Mr. Martin. Um, when we looked at this uh, question, uh, there's probably a couple of things that came out of that. Um, you know, one is um, a personal view uh, as to whether each and every one of us are either a giver or a taker. Uh, and then the other part that came out is, is in the family of God. When we look at the, the family of God, we talk about the, um, the connectivity to people um, around us, both in the church and outside of the church. Um, and then also the involvement of ministries within the church and also outside of the church. And I think it probably at any one time you can be a giver and a taker mm -hmm. because, um, you know, uh, uh, giving of your time, giving of your talents, giving of your resources uh, within the family of the church, within the ministry of the church, I we think is extremely important but it's also about fellowship it's also about relationships mm. and if we're not prepared to uh, be prayed for be supported by uh, be helped alongside then we're not really taking either we're just giving and I think somebody mentioned here earlier on is, is that if we're just giving and giving and giving and giving um, there doesn't. There comes a point in time when they, we don't feel like there's any replenishment mm. uh, happening. Mm. So I guess, um, and I, we also talked about how important it is is that when we're taking things and when we're asking for things, either from God or from people around us, that we are prepared to use what God has given us and what we're taking from others as well to be a benefit to others around us. You know, sometimes we're all too eager to pray for other people, but how eager are we to allow people to pray for us? Yeah, good point. And we need that kind of relationship replenishment from each other as we receive that uh, replenishment from God. And it's that verse that you were talking about earlier on in terms of loving God first 
and then loving other, being available to love others uh, around us. That's excellent. One of the key verses that will help you stay strong in, in, in the Lord, it says this, notice the order. Nothing in the word of God is trivial, even the order of the words. The Bible says, worship the Lord, serve him only. Notice that order. Worship the Lord first. Serve him only. If you get those around the wrong way, you will not last. Worship, service comes out of worship. And uh, when you have a relationship, it's much easier to, to last a distance. So as we wrap this up now, if the team just want to come up as we take the, um, collect the communication cards, I want to challenge you. Will you make the time available and invest the effort to really understand God's mercy. Because if you understand his mercy, it will give you power to renew your mind, it'll renew your perspective, and it will renew your attitude because of the mercy of God. Now your future will be determined by certain hinge points in your life. There'll be decisive moments. And one of the things you've got to decide is whether you're going to be all in or just going to continue to be a casual observer. I like to put it this way, whether you're going to be, continue to be an admirer of Jesus and say, yeah, good guy, or whether you're going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I want to close with a prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? This morning, after listening and talking and sharing, in your heart of hearts, do you want to say to God, God, I don't want to be a casual Christian. Would you say, thank you for your mercy, God. I want to fully understand it. And today by your spirit, I have been challenged to stop living for myself. I want to start being used by you for the purpose that you created for me before I was even born. I admit I've been afraid to go all in with you in the past. But today I've decided I'm not going to listen to my fears anymore. I'm not going to let them hold me back. For you, Jesus, I'm all in. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. Church, would you stand with me as we take up the offering and sing, O oh, Prince?